Welcome to One Cause Church. Here is another inspirational message from Senior Pastor Eric Holler. Praise God. All right, let's go to the book of Colossians. Go to the book of Colossians, as I've tried to do the last two Wednesdays. And finally, I feel a release from the Lord to bring it tonight. Boy, isn't God doing wonderful things here at One Cause Church? My goodness, my goodness, my goodness. I'm very excited about this. As Nathan said, there was a, last Wednesday in particular, there was a prophetic shift that took place. And I said, that's, a, that's the right way to say it. That's the right way to say it. Don't know what all of that means, but I know it's good. And you know what I'm, I'm really grateful for? I'm especially grateful for you because you're hungry for this. You're pressing into this. I can, I can feel you drawing on the anointing and, and pulling on more from God. And so I, I want to just admonish you and encourage you, stay hungry. Keep pushing in. Keep pressing and Keep expecting more. Keep being diligent in your seeking God because the Scripture says he's a rewarder to those who diligently seek him. Amen. So let's, let's not hit the brakes. Let's not hit cruise control. Stay on the gas, all right? <clears throat> Amen. I also want to take notice, one more thing, that today marks the 50th anniversary of the loss, one of the greatest losses in our nation of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., um, who was a great, great spokesman for the black community, a great leader, and because of his, his leadership and because of his values and because of his character and the way the man could put his speech together, we're still talking about him today. And he truly helped bring uh, a greater understanding, greater measure of liberation, and, a, and really a, a greater awareness uh, that we are all created equal in the eyes of God. And I just thank God for his legacy and uh, celebrate that today. Amen. We also know he's in heaven too, so we get, we get to meet him someday. That's amazing, isn't it? Amen. Okay, Colossians chapter 2, let's look at verse 8. Colossians chapter 2, verse 8. Now, <clears throat> yeah, let's just start there. Beware, beware. What does beware mean? Hmm? Be aware. There you go. Thank you, Rob. Get that man a gold star. <laughs> Be aware. Pay attention. Beware of the dog. What does that mean? I, I, hopefully I have your attention, right? Because if I don't have it, the dog's going to have it. Beware lest anyone cheat you. Beware lest anyone cheat me. I want to give you the Greek word for cheat here tonight. We're going to go into some teaching tonight. Is that okay if I put my teacher hat on, teach you some scripture tonight, teach you some word? It's translated from the Greek word sulagogeo, 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 sulagogeo. Let's all try that, sulagogeo, sulagogeo. It almost sounds like an Italian dish. Tonight, we'll be having Sulago Geo. <laughs> okay. And, and, and it means, and it means to, now listen to this, it means to carry one off as a captive or a slave. Now, let's read this again. Beware lest anyone carry you off as a captive or a slave. Or it also means to lead away from the truth and to subject to one's sway. I want to say something tonight, and then um, 
help us really understand the thing about slavery, whether it's physical, spiritual, emotional, whatever it might be. All slavery is voluntary. I'm going to say that again because I felt like that um, it got so quiet you could hear a pun drop in here. All slavery is voluntary. You have a choice whether you're going to be a slave or not. Now, it might cost you your life not to. Are you hearing me? It might cost you your life not to. But it is voluntary. I want to read a piece of a, a, a portion of a speech from our American history that I think says it better than I could ever say it. And I hope this stirs you up tonight, not only as an American, but as a free Christian. On March 23rd in 1775, Patrick Henry presented a proposal to organize a volunteer company of cavalry or infantry in every Virginia county. He felt like every, they needed arms everywhere because of this British fleet that was coming. And, and by custom, he, he addressed himself to the convention's president at that time, who was Peyton Randolph. And Henry's words were not transcribed that night, nor did he come in with a piece of paper to speak from. All right, so I want you to remember this. This is a man who stood up simply on a conviction. All right? Not a, not a prepared speech, and no one was writing this down that night. It wasn't until maybe two or three years later that they decided they needed to write down what Patrick Henry wrote that night because so many of them remembered these words. And, and the main one that helped them remember the speech was Thomas, none other than Thomas Jefferson. But I want you to, I don't have time to read the entire speech, but I just want to share this part of this riveting speech that took place that night. Remember, this is 1775. If we wish to be free, if we mean to preserve inviolate those inestimable privileges for which we have been so long contending, if we mean not basely to abandon the noble struggle in which we have been so long engaged, and which we have pledged ourselves un never to abandon until the glorious object of our contest shall be obtained, we must fight. I repeat, sir, we must fight. An appeal to arms and to the God of hosts is all that is left us. They tell us, sir, that we are weak, unable to cope with so formidable an adversary. But when shall we be stronger? Will it be the next week or the next year? Will it be when we are totally disarmed and when a British guard will be stationed in every house? Shall we gather strength by irresolution and inaction? Shall we acquire the means of effectual resistance by lying supinely on our backs and hugging the delusive phantom of hope until our enemies shall have bound us hand and foot? Sir, we are not weak if we make a proper use of those means which the God of nature hath placed in our power. Three millions of people armed in the holy cause of liberty and in such a country as that which we possess are invincible by any force which our enemy can send against us. Did you hear that? He said, we have three million people. Now, what was this compared to the British army? But he says, we are invincible against any force. Why? Because we have a holy cause of liberty. Whew. 
Besides, sir, we shall not fight our battles alone. There is a just God who presides over the destinies of nations, who will raise up friends to fight our battles for us. The battle, sir, is not to the strong alone. It is to the vigilant, to the active, and the brave. Besides, sir, we have no election. If we were base enough to desire it, it is now too late to retire from the contest. There is no retreat but in submission and slavery. Our chains are forged. Their clanking may be heard on the plains of Boston. The war is inevitable, and let it come. I repeat, let it come. It is in vain, sir, to extenuate the matter. Gentlemen may cry, peace, peace, but there is no peace. The war has actually begun. The next gale that sweeps from the north will bring to our ears the clash of resounding arms. Our brethren are already in the field. Why stand we here idle? What is it that gentlemen wish? What would they have? Is, is life so dear and, or peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery? Forbid it, almighty God. I know not what course others may take. But as for me, give me liberty or give me death. If you don't maintain a constant vigil against the devil, he can take us captive and spoil us of the great riches that we have in Christ. Paul says, beware lest anyone lead you off into slavery. You have a choice in this matter. You don't have to give in. Are you hearing me? You don't have to give in. You don't have to give way. We need to be on guard against this philosophy mindset of this world. And, and many people think Satan is endued with some kind of power, with supernatural power that he uses to overpower us and to force us uh, into obeying his desires. That is nothing but hogwash. That's not true. And we're going to see later on in this chapter just how untrue that thinking is. Satan's only power is deception. Did you hear me? He, his only power is deception. You know, the scripture says in, in, in uh, Ephesians chapter 6, when it's talking about the whole armor of God, it says, above all, taking the shield of faith, the shield of faith wherewith you will be able to quench, to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. Well, what are the fiery darts of the wicked one? Does he have literal fiery darts? Huh? They're his lies. They're his accusations. That's exactly right. What, what the scripture teach us in James about the tongue? The tongue is a fire. Right? Remember, even in Pentecost, it said that divided tongues as a fire set upon each of them. And so when we see that our faith, the shield of faith, will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. Mm. Which means faith, faith keeps you in truth and causes you to be able to extinguish the lie and not even entertain it, not even listen to it. Huh? Because don't forget, the devil deals in subtleties. He deals in subtleties, and man, sometimes his lies can sound pretty accurate, huh? But they're lies. His only power is deception, and, and that's what Paul is warning the Colossians against here. Listen to me. The thing he's warning them against is, is the lie to take you out of freedom and into slavery again. To take them out of the freedom that the gospel brought. As he told the Galatians, he said, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free. This is something that... We cannot relax on. You know, when we, when we won the American uh, Revolution, the Revolutionary War, our very first war, when we won that, we didn't just throw our arms down and say, well, we win, all right, let's go live life now. No, 
we built a military force because we knew that more wars were coming, more enemies were coming. So we had to set everything up so that we could protect ourselves. See, when you're, you're a child of God and you have everything, every victory in the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, it says uh, in 1 John 4, 4 that, that uh, it says something, you are of God, little children, and have already overcome them for greater is he that is in you than he that's in the world. Okay, so you have every way to win, and so you don't have to give in. You do not have to volunteer for slavery. Now watch this. So he's warning against this thing. Then he says it's through philosophy. Do not let anyone cheat you through philosophy. I want to give you the Greek word for philosophy, which is philosophia. Sophia means wisdom. All right, means wisdom. So this is man's wisdom. Man's wisdom, which was translated philosophy, but here in this text, it actually means uh, Jewish sophistry. Everybody say Jewish sophistry. All right, and I'll, I'll tell you what that means. Sophistry means a plausible but faulty or misleading argumentation. So that's what he's teaching us, through a plausible or misleading argumentation. Don't let anyone cheat you that way. Don't, through that kind of thinking, through that, through man's wisdom, through man's uh, own reasoning. This is describing systems, really, systems of thought rather than individual thoughts, all right? And, and uh, it's, it's in this specific instance, especially, because the scripture says that this world is under a power. They're under a rule they, that they are uh, governed by or swayed by the prince of the power of the air, all right? So one of the ways, I mean, the way he does it is through his lies through deception. So this deceptive philosophy that men have accepted from the enemy, that is not true wisdom. And so it's become a system that they want the, to bring those who are free into their system and to begin to squeeze them and mold them into their way of thinking. Paul is warning against this law mentality of the Old Testament versus the New, New Testament mentality of grace because there were these Judaizers who were trying to come in and make Jews out of all the Gentiles. And Paul had to stand firm against this again and again for the Gentile church and help them see the major difference. Amen. So, uh, I mean, many modern philosophies are, are in opposition to scriptures. If you've been to any university, <laughs> the rise of, of psychology, even in our modern society, has produced a philosophy that is directly opposed to true Christianity. And generally, psychology places the blame for one's individual actions on others. Isn't that amazing? Instead of themselves. Teaching the, to, it's somebody else's fault why this trouble's in your life or why you are the way you are. You know, at first, this kind of seems comforting to those who are hearing it. You are who you are because somebody else did this. Right? It's the Democrats' fault. It's the Republicans' fault. Huh? It's the, it's, it's the economic crisis. It's this, it's that. So it, you can't help it. This is just the lot that was handed to you because someone else. But see, here's the thing about this. It rids us of, our, of, of personal guilt and responsibility for our actions. And, and it also robs us of our God-given authority. If others are our problem, then we're doomed to be victims for the rest of our lives. Because we can change neither the past nor others. Amen. See, the truth that God's Word reveals to us is that we always have the choice whether to become bitter or better. Mm -hmm. God gave us that choice. See, Satan can't violate it, 
and God will not violate it. We've all heard of people claiming uh, that their dysfunctional families were what caused them to commit terrible crimes. Um, if this is true, then, then we are simply products of our environment. Then people who have similar backgrounds would all have similar reactions, if that's the, the rule. But it's not true. It's not, we've seen people rise out of the ashes all the time, come out of the worst kind of situations again and again. We have story after story. Siblings raised in identical situations may have completely opposite reactions through life. And, and, and because, why? Because of their personal choices. And, and believing anything less than this, see, puts mankind on the level of animals. If we're just a product of our environment, then that's what we're no better than. But praise God, we're not animals. You and I are made in the image of Almighty God. And we have the privilege and the responsibility of choosing right from wrong. Is this okay? All right. The, the, this, so this type of philosophy is the root of much error. It, much error in the body of Christ because so much of the church has accepted the worldly mindset. Right? And what we need is a biblical worldview continually. Biblical philosophy, biblical wisdom, biblical understanding, biblical insight, biblical revelation, so that we can stay in truth. The Bible reveals God's system of thinking. My ways are higher, he says. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts. Because his way is timeless and, and, and remains the proper philosophy regarding, I mean regardless, I should say, of politically correct thinking. We must dominate our thoughts with God's way of thinking. We must arm ourselves with his word because you are constantly being bombarded by the philosophy of this world. No matter where you go, those that you work with, social media, school, huh? you see it everywhere. You see it everywhere. And you've got to be able to not only, not only guard yourself against it, but stand up against it and speak out and speak the truth. Are you going to be loved? Probably not. But you can know this, your pastor loves you. All right? So you're not alone out there. Amen. It says through, through, vain, through, empty, through philosophy and empty deceit. That empty deceit means empty delusion. All right? So what he's saying is what the world offers you, what they're trying to bring you into is slavery and nothingness. All right? To minus your life out. And according, now look at this, according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. So what is this telling us? This is telling us, this is screaming at us, if you will, we need a revelation of Jesus. It's got to be according to Christ, not according to the traditions of men or according to the basic principles of this world. Amen. It was Saul of Tarsus who was a principled man. He was a principled man. He said when, when it came to keeping the law in Philippians, and it's amazing. I read it, and I think, did he really just say that? I was blameless. I don't know one person that could say they kept the law except for Jesus. Paul says, I was blameless concerning you. You think this guy wasn't a principled man? He said, I was more zealous than all of my contemporaries. I was a Pharisee of all the Pharisees. And I had the bragging rights too. Circumcised on the eighth day. Came from the stock of Benjamin. I had it all. And I was after this 
Christian movement. I was out to take it out for my God. I mean, Paul had a conviction in his heart. He had a vain philosophy that was, that was charging him, that was fueling his, his drive to wipe out the church. But then one day he had a revelation. One day a light shone from heaven on the way to Damascus. And he heard Jesus speak those words to him. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? What a, what a, what a moment for this man who, who all this time thought he was fighting for God when Jesus revealed to him he was fighting against God. Because the truth is you cannot be pro-God and anti-Christ. It don't work like that. Why are you persecuting me? And that's when Paul said, who are you, Lord? He acknowledged it was the Lord talking to him, but then he had to make this awful admission. He didn't know who the Lord was. He thought he did. Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you're persecuting. And once Paul got a revelation of Jesus, praise God. He, he, he went from a church pummeler to a church planting machine. Huh? The great, probably the greatest missionary ever of all time. Had more influence uh, than anyone else. My dad calls him the greatest Christian who ever lived. Listen to this in Galatians chapter 1. We've got a few more minutes here. Galatians chapter 1. He says, But I make known to you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but it came through what? The revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, this is extraordinary to me. I mean, let's be honest. I mean, if I were Paul, and I just got called by Jesus, I would go find Peter, James, and John and ask him to tell me about Jesus. I would think that that's what you should do. Go talk to those. But see, there's a reason why he didn't do that. Because in, in, in this same chapter, in the next chapter, in Galatians chapter 2, Paul made it very clear that Peter, James, and John were sent to the circumcised, and he and Barnabas were sent to the uncircumcised. So he had to learn the gospel for the Gentile from Jesus himself because the other apostles didn't know it. Peter had one experience at Cornelius' house. He got the door open, and then he went back to speaking to the Jews. And then he opened the door for Paul's ministry. But that was it. So he had to learn this from Jesus. I didn't learn it from any man, nor was I taught, but it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. Wow, look at verse 13. For you have heard of my former conduct in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. And I advanced in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous, what? For the traditions of my fathers. And this is one of the things he guard, tells us to guard ourselves against, the very thing that he used to stand for, the traditions of men. But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace. Now let me ask you something for just a moment. What timeline is he talking about here? Is he talking about when he's born here on the earth? He called me through his grace from his mother, his natural mother's womb? No, because Paul didn't come into grace till he was older. He's talking about from Hagar. He's talking about from Hagar, which is Mount Sinai. He talks about this in Galatians chapter 4. makes it very clear that God called me out of that. Praise God. 
through His grace, to reveal His Son in me. See, this is what I'm saying. You've got to have a revelation of Jesus. And this is what Paul, Jesus revealed to Paul what to reveal to us. That I might preach Him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood. That's why he didn't do it, because he had instructions from Jesus. You're going to have to learn this from me. I'm about to teach you something no one has ever heard. I'm going to give you a message no one has ever preached. And Paul later said that message was this, Christ in you, Gentiles, the hope of glory. This was a mystery that was hidden from the ages, but God brought it to me to reveal to you. Amen. Praise God. All right, let's go to Mark chapter 7, verse 6 for a moment. Mark chapter 7. Turn to somebody and tell them, tell the preacher amen. <laughs> amen. But he answered, thank you. He answered and said to them, Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites? He's talking to the Pharisees here, Jesus. As it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Verse 7. And in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Didn't Paul say to stay away from those things? All right. The doctrines of men, the commandments, of, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Watch verse 8. For laying aside the commandment of God. Whoa, what's the difference between the commandment of God and the commandment of men? He's going to show us. You hold the tradition of men, the washing of pitchers and cups and many other such things you do. This is what you do as Pharisees. This is not what you're required to do by the law of God. You've made up your own rules in the system of God's rules. You love those rules, Pharisees. Verse 9. He said to them, All too well you reject the commandment of God that you may keep your tradition. Ooh. Verse 10. For Moses said, Honor your father and your mother, and he who curses father and mother, let him be put to death. Well, what if we started implementing that again? <laughs> My wife says amen. Better watch out, Dylan, wherever you are. But you say, if a man says to his father or mother, whatever profit you might have received from me is Corban, that is a gift to God. Let me take a moment to explain what he's talking about. See, what happened was the Pharisees found a loophole in God's law. Because part of the law was to, when the parents came of age, then the children took care of the parents. It was one of the ways that they honored their father and mother. So when their parents had need of anything, it was the, the, the children's responsibility then to rise up and take care of mom and dad. I mean, isn't that the least they could do since they took care of them growing up? But he says, if a man says to his father and mother, whatever profit you might have received from me is Corban or a gift from God. So the Pharisee said, here's what we can do. Because we want to fatten our pockets in the temple, you take what you should give to your parents and you can redeem it by saying it's for God and bring it to the house of God. In other words, right here into our pockets. Verse 12. Then you no longer let him do anything for his father or his mother. Wow. Isn't that, it's, verse 13, sorry. This is the one that's, that's key. Making the word of God of no effect through your tradition which you have handed down and many such things you do. Is there anything more powerful than the word of God? Apparently, there is the traditions of men make it of no effect. Mm. Make the word of God of no effect in your life because you esteem tradition over his word. See, Paul is, is 
trying to get us to get this message. Don't give in to this. Don't volunteer for slavery because they're coming to take you into law. They're coming to take you into sin. They're coming to take you into their way of thinking. And that's nothing but bondage. Hey, listen, there are bad traditions like he's talking about, but there are good traditions too. And I'll finish with this. Second Thessalonians chapter 2. Second Thessalonians chapter 2. Verse 13, he says, But we are bound to give thanks to God always for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God, from the beginning, chose you for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. Aren't you glad? Say, God chose me for salvation. Isn't that beautiful? He chose you for salvation. Oh, it's beautiful. For salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. Next, to which he called you by our gospel. Whose gospel is he talking about? Who is Paul to say our Not only that, he didn't just say our gospel here. Paul says he even calls the gospel my gospel. According to my gospel, he says. Because nobody else had preached this gospel. He had full ownership of it. According to our gospel, for the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Watch this, verse 15. Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which you were taught, whether by word or our epistle. So this is what Paul is saying. Whatever I've taught you, that's the tradition you need to hold on to. Because there are other ones who are going to come in and try to sway you from what I've taught you. Now, let me tell you something, my family. This is, the church is inundated with this stuff today. New covenant believers, they do not see the importance of understanding Paul's doctrine above everything else in the Scripture. Above everything else in the Scripture. You will not understand anything Jesus says, or what Peter says, or James says, or, any, or what the law says, or anything, if you don't first have Paul's revelation. Because we wouldn't know anything about God. I'm telling you, as, as Gentiles, we wouldn't know anything about him if it hadn't been for this apostle to the Gentiles. When I was growing up, one of the popular things to say was, read the red, read the red. I read the red, and I got real confused. Because my right hand has offended me, and Jesus said, if it does, cut it off. What am I supposed to do now that I saw those instructions? Sure, I'm glad to... See Paul's, get his lens, his understanding where I am so that I could see that in its proper place. Isn't that interesting? There's lots of scriptures like that. So we must understand what he's saying. He said, hold fast to these traditions, whether what, what I'm preaching to you or whether what I'm writing to you. This is what you need to know. You know, Paul said in, in, in um, and then there's this, also, this other thought too. It's just a bunch of religious thinking. And it's not just religious, but it's also very ignorant just ignorant. This is what people have been taught and it's just what they're passing down. Well, brother, you got to preach the whole counsel of God. That's why you preach the whole Bible. How's that working out for you? It's not our responsibility to preach the whole Bible. It's our responsibility to preach Jesus throughout the whole Bible. If we're going to preach it right. But not all of it applies. We live in the letters, but we learn from the others. We live in the letters of Paul, but we learn from the others. The whole counsel of God. See, what they don't understand is they're quoting, actually, the Apostle Paul. And Paul said, I did not shun, and I did not neglect to teach you or to give to you the whole counsel of God. In other words, he's saying, what I told you Gentiles is all the counsel you need. Wow. Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't go read other parts of the Bible, but not before you first spend most of your time in his letters. And letting yourself be under that light, 
so that revelation can come, so that understanding can come. Man, I'm telling you what, my life started getting free. My Bible reading started getting fun when I realized that there are different audiences that the Scriptures are speaking to, some of it's history, some, some of it's mystery, some of it's to me, some, to the Gentiles, some of it's to the Jews, some of it's to the church, some of it's to the spirit man, some of it's to the flesh, some of it's talking to the soul. And once you get, once you get that understanding, oh my goodness, you won't be going, well, I read my three chapters today, got that done, didn't remember a thing, but at least I read my Bible. I don't know about you, but I've done that. I've done that, just gone through the motions. Just to say I did it. Is that really how we're supposed to live? Hmm? By a checklist? You've been called to freedom. Stand fast in it. Don't let anyone cheat you. Stay strong in this. Believe this gospel. Don't be ashamed of this gospel that has set you free. So much more to go into, but I'm going to stop right here, being that it's 810. And, um, wow, I, I hadn't even got to my favorite part of this chapter yet. I cannot wait until we get just a few more verses, and then, then, uh, then the fire is going to hit. Amen. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoyed the message. For more information about One Cause Church, please visit us online at onecausechurch.com.